Next Saturday morning, Christmas, my kids are all grown, but I have a bunch of grandkids, and it's always amazing how kids uh, are going to just wake up that morning, and they have such a confidence that you bought them some amazing things. Isn't that interesting? And I thought, I always thought just the faith of a child to believe that mom and dad bought them some cool stuff. Now they're going to open presents and immediately throw across the room the socks and pajamas and underwear, right? And they're going to get to the, you know, give me something else. Give me something else I get to open. But that simple faith that they believe that you're going to give them good things. And today I want to talk to you about your faith and whether you are really trusting the Lord for the very things you're praying for and for the bigger things that God wants to do. See, you're praying for your needs, but God is also preparing you for bigger things he wants to do in your life. Do you know that? Things you're not even aware of, or maybe things you are aware of, but you're avoiding. There are bigger things that God wants to do in this church that you're a part of, that maybe you're not aware of. And I believe that the Lord is just helping us to grow in our simple faith. The amazing works that God does are his works. They're not our works that we have to pull off as if we're superhuman, but our part is to really believe him and to trust him. That he is going to do what he says he's going to do. The just shall live by faith. Have you ever heard that, that phrase? It's, it's an Old Testament uh, scripture, but it's repeated Three times in the New Testament, the just shall live by faith. The just are those of us who have been justified by the Lord. We've come into relationship with God. And now, now we're not living by sight or guarantees. We're living in relationship and confidence of who the Lord is. We trust him. Your children live by faith. They don't have the ability to get through the early years of their life without complete dependence on mom and dad. So your children live by faith. And now we as adults, as children of God, live by faith. We've already looked at the Christmas story in Luke as we're going through Luke right now. Today, I want to go to Matthew and look at the Christmas story, the announcement of the birth of Jesus in Matthew's gospel. I'm going to pick up at Matthew 1.18 and read all the way through verse 25. Follow with me, if you will. Matthew writes, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, 
was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, mark that word, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph being aroused from sleep did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. I'd like to just give you six, six things in this amazing lesson of faith. And we're looking at Joseph, and he is being asked to take a step of faith. You and I can think of times in our life where God asks us to take a step of faith. It's exciting. It's scary. We're panicked. How do we know if this is really something the Lord is leading us to do? Maybe there's times when we know God is leading us. Other times we're saying, Lord, how do I know if this is of you? And we, we ask the Lord to help us, maybe to give us a sign even. And that's what this lesson is all about. And not just the fact of what God did to bring his son into the world, but what an amazing example Joseph is for you and for me. Have you ever asked the Lord for a sign? Lord, help me to know. Help me to just know this is of you. And did the Lord give you a sign? And why does the Lord give you a sign? Why does he honor your prayer, your request? Why would he do that? You know, not everybody gets a sign, a confirmation. And we've all met those people who are not really trying to trust the Lord. They just kind of say, well, if God would show me in a miracle, if God would do a sign for me, then maybe I'll believe in him. We've all known those kinds of people too. Did they really mean it when they say those kinds of things? Often they don't really mean it. Six things, if you're following with me, taking notes with me. Number one is that Joseph was part of the plan of God. While you and I are making, asking for God to give us a sign, we think it's about us. God direct my life. God provide for me. But we remember when God is working in your life personally, like Joseph, it was also part of a bigger plan of God. That's exciting. That's scary. Because I want my life to count for something bigger. 
But frankly, there are times when I want to do what I want to do. And, you know, it's okay for you to acknowledge that you have that internal conflict. We're all living between that balance of our own plans and God's bigger purposes for our life. Joseph was not thinking of the big plan of God to bring the savior of the world into this world. Was he thinking of that? No. He's thinking of his life, his relationship with Mary. They are betrothed. They are technically not married yet. Of They haven't gone through the marriage ceremony where they would have, they would consummate the marriage and, and have children. The betrothal period is a one-year period before marriage. It is as if they are legally bound. To separate at this point would require something like a divorce, but they're, they're not at the point of consummating the marriage. So they're committed. The engagement often happened in the Jewish culture as children. Parents arranged marriages. So they're betrothed, but not technically married. Mary is pregnant. So what is Joseph to think? That she's been unfaithful. And so Joseph makes a plan. The plan is to put her away secretly. Because according to Jewish law, she could be stoned. And yet, as a just man, as an honorable man, he's, he is thinking of protecting her. Not merely that he has been, you know, offended or how horrible this is against him. And during this time of Joseph trying to figure out what plan to carry out, the angel speaks to him and says, no, Joseph, there's something else going on. This child is of the Holy Spirit. That this is of God. His name shall be called Jesus, which we've covered in, in Luke's gospel. That Jesus is the Greek version of Joshua in the Old Testament. Joshua then is even a shortened version of Jehovah Hashua, which means God has become our salvation. So his very name declares his mission, who he is. God has become our salvation. The second thing is that God is keeping a promise made through the prophet Isaiah. That which was spoken through the prophet to Isaiah. And it's interesting to think our little lives are part of something that God has planned actually before our birth. Do you know that? His plans for you were even before your birth. Not such a strange idea. You made plans for your kids before they were born. You didn't even ask them. And so Joseph is waking up. He's getting the bigger picture. Something else is going on. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, 
saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Literally, you know, we'll say in passing, well, you know, the Lord's with us. That wasn't figurative or the Lord is with us, but literally in the flesh, God would become man, Emmanuel, God with us. God had made a promise through the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before, I believe it's about 700 years before Jesus, through the prophet Isaiah to King Ahaz. You ever heard that name in the Bible? King Ahaz. He was one of the worst kings that Israel ever had. One of the most corrupt kings that the nation ever had. He is responsible for introducing idols into the nation of Israel. Through in the Old Testament, the Israelites had a, a chronic problem of turning away from God and worshiping idols. It was always these idols of their neighbors, which would take them straight into pagan practices that were abhorrent to God. One of those practices was sacrificing their children to the god Molech. And King Ahaz, a king of the southern kingdom uh, of Israel, offered, sacrificed his own children to the god Molech in the fires. I can't even get my brain around that. And yet God is going to continue to try and work with this corrupt king. Keeping this in mind, when we think of the, the presidents and the politicians we get in office, and that God will still try and work through these people. I'll use soft language. These people our politicians. We think we just write them off. They, there's no way that God could do anything from them through them. And maybe God can work through them in ways that we're not aware of. Did you know there is a room set aside in the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. just for prayer? I've been there and seen it. We think, does anybody pray in Washington, D.C.? Yes, there are some who pray in Washington, D.C., he introduced idols, sacrifices children to Molech. He was afraid at this time when Isaiah gives him this promise, afraid of an impending attack from an alliance between the northern kingdom of Israel and the Syrians. He's terrified of this attack coming. And yet God wants to give Ahaz uh, the assurance that he doesn't need to be afraid of this attack that God is going to protect the southern kingdom even though Ahaz has, is, doesn't have a heart or a mind at all to seek God's protection. And so through Isaiah, God says to King Ahaz, to help your faith, I want you to ask for me a sign. Ask any sign you want and I will give it to you whether it's in the skies above or in the depths, the seas. Now imagine if you were panicked about something and God said, look, I'm going to help you in your panic. I want you to ask of me any sign, any miracle, and I will do it exactly as you ask 
because I want you to have complete peace and confidence that I am watching out for you. How many of you would take God up on that offer? You're not sure if that's a trick question or not. Of course, I want, I want absolute clarity from God. God, are you with me? God, are you going to protect me from this thing that, that could come my way? Well, that's what God says to King Ahaz, one of the worst kings in the nation of Israel. So God says, ask anything you want. You know what Ahaz says? He pretends to put on this pious tone and he says, oh, I would never presume to ask a sign from God. Now, doesn't that sound spiritual? He goes, I would never test God by asking him to give me a sign. Do you think he meant that? No, absolutely not. So if he was rejecting the offer of a sign, why was it that he didn't want a sign? Because you see, if God gives him a sign, then he will feel obligated to obey God. Do you know that? That's a funny thing about God speaking to you and giving you confirmation. Sometimes I, over my years of ministry, people will come to me for counseling. They're in trouble in their life. And you know what pastors say? Well, have you prayed about this? It seems kind of obvious. And I've discovered many people will not pray about their needs. Because secretly in their heart, they don't want to obey God. They don't want God to provide or protect. Now they do, but without any any sense of now, now I have no excuse. And people will go through years, years of their life. And in fact, as I'm saying it, my own father, my own father, as I've shared before, was an alcoholic, but I learned as a teenager, my father was at one time in seminary to become a pastor. And yet my whole life, all I knew was that my father drank. And so something happened in his life, which I don't know, which made him turn away from God. And rather than go back to God and trust God to put his life back together, he would just drink and tune God out. It's surprising how many people are like Ahaz. When God is not standing afar off, God is saying, please, I'm ready to, to show myself to you. I'm ready to work in your life. And the very reason God does it is because he loves you. He doesn't want you to be fearful and doubting. He wants you to, to know that he's near to you, Emmanuel. He wants you to know that when he makes a promise to provide for you, to protect you, you can believe him.
But that assurance to strengthen your faith then also comes with your commitment to serve him. To live that life of faith. Because if you're going to live in peace, it comes with a life of faith. The just shall live by faith. Well, Ahaz said, I don't want a sign. I'm much too spiritual to need a sign. And so God says to Ahaz, well, I'm going to give you a sign anyway. That sign is Isaiah 7, 14. I love it whenever we get the backstory behind some of these famous scriptures in the Bible. The scripture that we know every year at Christmas, Isaiah 7, 14, was given to King Ahaz, who said, I don't want a sign. Isaiah 7, 13 and 14. Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you worry God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's the backstory. As Paul Harvey would say, what would Paul Harvey say? The rest of the story. And so prophecies in the Bible would often have or typically have a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. There is some discussion about what the near fulfillment of that prophecy was that Ahaz would have seen as a sign. But the far fulfillment was what the angel clarifies to Joseph. It is the conception of, of Jesus with Mary. That is the ultimate and far fulfillment of the sign given to King Ahaz. Isn't that amazing? And so here is Joseph. I can almost uh, picture Joseph, a Jewish man. I believe he probably knows that story about the corrupt King Ahaz and how he rejected the sign of God. And now he's saying, oh, what am I going to do? Am I going to be like King Ahaz and reject the sign? Or am I going to be a man of God who believes God's word and allows God through my life to do the work he wants to do? Number three, Joseph is deciding to trust God. Joseph is deciding to trust God. Again, he's made his own plans. His plan was to marry Mary, but now that's not working out, so he's made another plan to put her, to put her away secretly. And God, in his quiet little life, now remember, Joseph is nobody of consequence in the nation of Israel. He's a carpenter. He has a just an ordinary working man's life like you and I do. Mary will be accused of being unfaithful. Jesus will be accused throughout his life and in his ministry, he will be accused of being illegitimate. This is known publicly 
that Jesus is not Joseph's biological son. He's adopted, if you will, by Joseph. And Joseph, like you, is deciding, what am I going to do? Number four, you are part of God's plan. It's great to talk about these stories, but you have to make it personal. These were all written as examples for us. You are part of God's plan. That's exciting, but it's terrifying. It's exciting when I like how it works out. It's not exciting if it's, if it's inconvenient. Fundamentally, I want my life to serve God's plans, God's bigger purposes. God forbid that I get my way and have a great life and miss out on the bigger things God wanted to do in my life. That's what I think. And so I have prayed the prayer. Maybe you have too, God. Here's my plans, but if you have other plans, please redirect me. It's just an, uh, it's just an agreed-on arrangement. How many of you have prayed that prayer? Let me see your hands. The rest of you, write it down. And here's the thing. The difference between your plans and God's plans are not so radically different. Because often the things that you would love to do are part of God's plan. That old joke that don't ever say that you would never go to Africa or God's going to send you to Africa. That is not the love of God for you. Do you know that? If you don't know that, then you still need to learn about the heart of God. God has already planted into you things that he would use for that bigger purpose. But they just get, they just get put to better use than just your hobby or your occupation or your interest. You and I are deciding, are we going to be part of God's plan? Write down 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 6, and really read the whole chapter if you'd like this week. But Paul writes, For as, as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. We're so independent in our American thinking that we forget that we are connected to the body of Christ. You, you as an individual member are also part of the body of Christ. And no church functions without, without a shared work relationship in the church. It's not all the pastor and the staff. That's an unhealthy church. That's what we kind of call corporate religion. And frankly, I'm not interested in that at all. I'm not interested in being the CEO of this organization and having a staff that carries out the 
organized programs of the church. I'm interested in being your pastor. And as Ephesians says, Paul wrote Ephesians, to equip you for the work of the ministry. Because you see, whatever, whatever a staff would do can never compare with what the family can do. Can never compare. I'm not interested in a well-polished mega program where people just come and watch. That is not biblical church. It's not any church that I want to be a part of. And so while you're saying amen, you have agreed to partner with me. You realize you've said that? I heard you. We're all in. Okay, the front row is speaking for everybody. And I am going to speak to you as if you are co-laborers with me. And so we, the leaders, me and whoever else, you know, we have ideas. We pray about things. We may not always get it right. And if things aren't perfectly right, uh, I pray that you will not stamp your feet and leave. That you'll say, you know, Pastor Terry, that's great and we love you so much, but we don't care for that. Now you pray about that before you come and <laughs> say that to me. But it's okay if we get a few things wrong because we can fix it. If the lights aren't perfectly right, if the sound is not perfectly right, or if I didn't wear the right clothes, or you don't like skinny jeans, and I wore skinny jeans one day, I'm not wearing skinny jeans. Don't, don't worry about that. Um, this is about as skinny as it gets. We're doing this together. And I'm patient with you when you do goofy things. Do you know that? Hypothetically, if you did. And so I trust you're patient with us while we're figuring out how to serve you better. But we are all, all of that to say, we're all part of the plan of God. To what purpose? To honor the Lord? To equip you for the work of the ministry? And to reach Albany and bring them into a relationship with Jesus Christ? And to be a part of strengthening all of the churches of Albany. In the past uh, few weeks, we have hosted uh, pastors and leadership gatherings here at this church. And we're part of the Albany Christian leaders. And I was able to meet a lot of the Christian leaders in Albany and pastors. And, and I plan to just continue to develop that relationship. It's not us here as if we're the only church in Albany. We're part of the bigger work that God is doing. So your life is part of the whole church. This church is part of the bigger church, the church in Albany. And there is room for all of us to grow and reach more people. It's not a competition. It's not a comparison. I just want to do what the Lord has given us to do and be singularly focused on that. 
The fifth thing I want to say to you to, today again is that God's word is true. Not true in a generic sense, but true in the sense that as we study God's word, you can believe it, you can count on it. We look at these stories like Joseph and Mary. They're not one-off, never going to happen again story. Of course, it's never going to happen exactly that way with the virgin birth. But the example of two people living quiet lives and learning to trust the Lord and being a part of the bigger work of God, that is the example for you and for me. So the way they got there is that they believed God's word. Do you know that many churches today do not believe the Bible? I'm not going to sit here and call out pastors and criticize them or whatever. But it is historically true that there are waves of apostasy that, that come through the church over the past 2,000 years. And there are many churches and whole denominations that randomly decide the Bible cannot be taken literally anymore. The whole woke discussion is filtering into the church. Did you know that? And now the church, in an effort not to offend their communities, are compromising on basic biblical teachings. There is a woke gospel. God forbid we should call certain things sin. But we can hold the line in what the Bible literally says, as well as be gracious to our community. It's not our job to go around and point out and, and be militant against every different lifestyle. Of course, we don't go along with the agenda that's going on today, but look at the way Jesus related to people in other lifestyles. He didn't walk the streets and point the finger and do those things. You immediately think of the woman caught in adultery and thrown at Jesus' feet. They wanted him to take a stand. And what was the stand he took? The stand of grace. That's our stand. Not, not to come down hard on alternate lifestyles, but to bring the grace to those people in alternate lifestyles. I believe it's possible to be in our community and love those people. Because if we don't love them, who will? That's the challenge. And that's the hard balance to get between being true to biblical standards and still loving people. As we say, God loves everybody in our community. He just loves you too much to leave you that way. I thank God that God loved me and he, lo he loved me so much that he changed me from what I used to be to what I am now and still working on things. And 
to me, that is the bigger picture that we are all believing God for. God's word is true. Oh, you don't believe that anymore. The story of a virgin birth, the story of Noah's ark, the story of Jonah and the whale or the big fish. You don't actually believe that stuff, do you? Listen to what Peter wrote in 2 Peter 1, 16 to 19. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Did you hear that? We didn't follow fables. When we told you about the coming of Jesus, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard his voice, which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. Peter is saying, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. The word of God is a light that shines into a dark world. Number six, as you're writing things down, God is willing to help your unbelief. That's a lesson we have from all over the Bible, right there to Ahaz, a man who didn't believe God. God's saying, saying, please let me help you. Ask for any sign you want, and I'm going to help you. Well, I'm going to give you a sign anyway. To Joseph, here is the sign. To the shepherds abiding out in their fields, here is the sign. Go and find it. And you start to see there, there's a pattern in the scriptures. And so this excuse that we like to use, well, if I really knew if God was with me, then I would make this decision. You know, I don't believe that God leaves us uncertain. That is such a lame excuse. Well, God never answered my prayer. That's why I didn't do this. What a, what a lame excuse. All over we read the Bible that that is not the heart of God. That's not how God works. God knows our uncertainty. He knows the weakness of our flesh. He knows how, how fickle we are. And in each of your lives, God is helping you. And it's okay to say, God, I, have, I am honestly not sure what you want me to do. That's perfectly okay to say. Just be honest about it. No lame excuses, like I prayed and God never answered my prayer. And be honest with yourself. Well, I didn't pray because I didn't want an answer because I didn't want to be obligated to do what God wanted me to do. Just tell the truth. 
Even Peter would get to that place where he would say to the Lord, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. You know, God can work with that. You don't ever have to pretend to have more faith than you really do. And again, I love that about God. He helps you right where you are. And even with the faith of a child or the the faith as the grain of a mustard seed, which are two examples of the least little bit of faith someone could ever have. God can work with a little bit of real faith over this huge bucket load of fake faith. People who make these huge pronouncements of going and doing great works for God, and you know it's just a show. Preachers are good at that. But God is willing to help your unbelief. We're wrapping up the year here. I'm going to take my glasses off so now I can see if you're making faces at me. It's suddenly clearer now. I'm going to have the worship team come up, and here's what's on my heart. We're finishing the year. I'm brand new here as your pastor. I am saying, Lord, what in the world did you bring me to Albany for? Okay, that's the voice in my head. You know that? Can I be honest with you? I'm going, I, I still live in Vancouver. My plan is to be here soon uh, as the Lord is providing and stabilizing things. But I'm saying, God, I think the Lord did this. I don't have any question, but I'm saying, Lord, what am I here for? I know generally what I'm here for. That's, that's not rocket science. But I'm getting to know you and how is God working in your lives? I'm getting to know Albany. And what are the people of Albany like? And we have a couple of, you know, hills to overcome. COVID, a church move, a pastor change. Those are three big things for a church to go through. And yet here we are, and I'm here, and you're here, and I'm looking at you. And so as we together, remember that part of my message where we're partners in this? Nobody said anything. Did you already forget that part? Amen. Okay. Write that in your notes. Partner with Pastor Terry. I have a part to play. I need you to do your part. I cannot do this with just showing up with Bible studies weekly with Maddie and the team putting together worship, that's not enough to make this work. And Albany is watching. You are a testimony to your city. Did you know that? What's going to happen with that church? That church that suddenly showed up at the mall. The other churches are looking. My friends who pastor other Calvary chapels around the state of Oregon and Washington are wondering what's going to happen here. 
And we want to see what the Lord wants to do here. And your part and my part are three things. Are you ready? Did you put your pens away? I'm asking you as my partners to be praying. To be in prayer. I'm asking you whether you're doing it or are thinking about it to serve. Now, I, that's, that's not a pitch to get you to into Sunday school, children's ministry, or it could be something here at the church, or but just serve the Lord in some way. If it's here, great. We need, of course, more volunteers. If the Lord has a work for you to do at your job or at your kids' schools or whatever, the thing is the Lord wants to use your life. To, so be available to him. And thirdly, we just ask you to give financially. Now, I'm not a big guy that ever talks about finances. It's a switch for me, even that our church doesn't receive an offering in church. But that's what churches are doing these days. But I'll remind you, and I've had people even say, well, how is that church funded? Well, we're just so rich, we don't need offerings. No, we do. <laughs> And if we are going to continue to be here next year, we need you to give. And some of you are able to do more, some less. But the thing is, if everybody does a small share, then it, it, it works. Your small share, your tenth, is what the tithe means, or however you want to count it, is enough when the whole body shares the work together. It's enough. And so I give. Our staff gives. I'm part of this church. You're part of this church. And I believe in the next year, the Lord is just going to open up the opportunity that he has for us. Do you, are you with me? Yeah. Let's stand together. And I want to pray for you, pray, pray, pray for the church. And I know there are many people and part of our church who aren't even here today, people even watching online that have not even come to church here yet. And let's pray for the churches of Albany. Let's pray for the city of Albany. Because our little lives here are part of a bigger work. And God is just preparing us to believe him for that work. Do you believe me? Yes.